This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight, we hear another tale through the eyes of Police Sergeant Joe Friday of the LAPD. The star of the show is also the producer of the program, Jack Webb. Webb had a featured role as a crime lab technician in the 1948 film He Walked by Night. That was based on the real-life murder of a California highway patrolman by Irwin Walker. Now, the film was produced in semi-documentary style with technical assistance provided by Detective Sergeant Marty Wynn of the Los Angeles Police Department. Now, he walked by night's thinly-veiled, fictionalized recounting of the 1946 Walker crime spree, gave Webb the idea for Dragnet, a recurring series based on real cases from LAPD police files featuring authentic depictions of the modern police detective, including methods, mannerisms, and technical language. Tonight, we hear the episode entitled Homicide. The story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Dragnet! Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime investigated and solved by the men who unrelentingly stand watch on the security of your home, your family, and your life. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, this is the story of your police force in action. Dragnet. It was Tuesday, March 25th. It was cold in Los Angeles. We were working the night watch out of homicide. Detectives in Los Angeles work in pairs. My partner's Ben Romero. He's a sergeant, so am I. My name's Friday. The boss is Ed Backstrand, chief of detectives. I was on the way back from the record bureau, and it was 13 minutes past 11 when I got to room 42. Homicide. That's a hot shot. Somebody grab it. I got it, Ed. At 1245 East Doheny Street, one, two, four, two officers shot. At 1245 East Doheny Street, Street, two officers shot. What have you got, Friday? Read it. Two officers shot. Where's Romero? Right here, Skipper. Okay, you've got one to roll on. Get going. Both Ben and I knew where we were heading. We'd recognized the address. It was the Trapdoor Cafe, a joint in the south end of town that did business with a pretty rough crowd. Thirteen minutes later, we pulled up in front. 
Two patrolmen had the crowd pretty well pushed back. There was a cruiser car in front of the cafe. The car door was open, and an officer was sprawled across the seat. He was conscious but weak, and one of his pant legs was pretty red. Hello, Sergeant. Hi. How you doing? I've done better. Yeah, well, what happened? The Williams and I were cruising. We've been keeping an eye on this cafe lately. Tonight, we decided to take a look. And just as we went in, two guys left in a hurry. The back door. We followed them out into the alley. It was dark out there, and I called them. I said, hey, fellas, just a minute, I want to talk to you. They stopped? I'll see. One of them whirled. He had a gun in his left hand. He shot both of us. Left hand, huh? Williams went down and up. I went down, but I took a shot at him. No effect. And I started crawling out here to the car so I could call in. You started crawling? Yeah. Wait a minute, Emerson. Weren't there any people around by that time? Oh, yeah. Quite a few ran out after the shots. You mean nobody would help you to the car? That's right. Did you get a good look at either of the gunmen? Well, one of them was tall. I think he was a redhead. There was something funny about his nose. That's all I saw. It's too dark out there. Williams was closer. I think he got a good look. No, the other officer, Williams. He's in pretty bad shape. Is he breathing? He's still alive, Emerson. I don't know how much time he's got. Ambulance? On the way. Okay, let's round up all the men who are in the cafe. We're taking them in. took all the men back to the city hall. There were 23 in the trapdoor cafe at the time of the shooting. We questioned all of them. One of them said there had been a redhead in the place, but he couldn't describe him. Ben and I left the interrogation room, and we went back to the squad room. Friday, Romero. Got a minute? Yeah, Ed. Come on, Ben. Mm. Sit down. Hey. You got anything from those people you questioned? Nothing we could use. Mm. How's Williams? Pretty bad. When do they operate? Soon as he comes out of shock. Probably in the morning. You boys will be there. Yeah, we will. When the surgeon digs that slug out, get it and mark it for evidence. Yeah. Here for them two men shot without asking any questions. They must be hot. Yeah. Same thing occurred to me. When we get that slug, the ballistics can tell us whether that gun's been used on other jobs. We got enough of their modus operandi to have a statistician give us a run through on the IBM now. One of them is left-handed, and he shoots quick. Okay, be in surgery tomorrow morning at 9. Neither Ben or I said much on the way home, but we were both thinking the same thing. I knew the chief was thinking it too. Here were two men who'd shot a couple of police officers without asking any questions. Now, I suppose you've heard a lot of stories about what the force thinks of cop killers. Sure, we don't like to lose our friends and partners any better than anybody else would. Why not figure it this way? If these two guys would gun a couple of armed police officers, do you think they'd hesitate to shoot you, the unarmed citizen? The next morning at 9 o'clock, Ben and I had scrubbed up and we were in surgery. Williams was on the table. The surgeon started in. A lot of minutes later, he got the slug. As for Williams... They took out seven feet of his intestine and said he might pull through. Joe, here's the report from ballistics. The slug they took out of Williams come from a 44 Smith & Wesson. The same gun was used in a liquor store killing about a month ago. You call the statistician? Yeah, uh-huh. She's running all the cards on previous shooting through the IBM machine. She ought to be through about now. Let's take a look. Okay, come on. Hi, Helen. Just a second. Okay. 
watch it for it. These cards will give you all the shootings pulled by two men on foot who shot quick, one of them left-handed. Right. They're all yours. Sure can tell a lot from just a bunch of little holes in these cards, can't you? Hmm. I can't, but this IBM machine can. Never ceases to amaze me. Okay, so you check the cards out. Yeah, sure, sure. Mm. Mm. Wait a minute, Ben. Here we are. Huh? Yeah. Here's that liquor store killing ballistics tied to Smith & Wesson in on. Same gun that Emerson Williams was shot with? It checks out. The liquor store was in the same neighborhood as the Trapdoor Cafe. Same gun, huh? Got to be. How long ago? A month ago, yeah. Ben, take the DR number off this card and let's pull the crime report on that job. We pulled the crime report out of the file that said that there was only one witness to that liquor store killing a month ago. That witness was a woman. Miss Form, sorry to disturb you like this, but we'd like to ask some questions about that liquor store killing you witness a little over a month ago. Well, I told the police everything I knew about it then. Yeah, we know, but maybe you wouldn't mind telling us again, huh? Mm. No, I guess not. I, I've been trying to forget it to tell the truth. It's, it's terrible, and I, I really didn't see so very much because I was awful scared. I understand. But try to describe again just what happened, will you? Well, it was about 10 o'clock at night. I was walking down the street toward home when I re- realized I was all out of cigarettes. Well, I was right in front of the liquor store then, so I went in. The clerk was behind the counter, and there were two men standing there arguing. What's the idea of changing your mind? I thought we was going to get bourbon. No, let's get the wine. I want bourbon. Gosh, too much. Wine's good enough. The rest of them want bourbon, too. We better talk. Well, okay. We'll be back when we make up our mind, mister. And two men walked out of the store, and the clerk smiled at me and shrugged his shoulders. I bought a pack of cigarettes and turned to leave. But just then, the two men came back in again, and each of them had a gun in his hand. This is stick-up, mister. The clerk just sort of crumpled at the floor. I couldn't believe my eyes, but that's just how it happened. The men said this is a stick-up, and then they shot him right away. Get over against the wall, lady, or you'll get the same. One of them punched a no say on the cash register. I was shaking, so I almost caved in. He scooped the money out of the drawer and stuffed it into his pocket. And then... And the other one went over to where the liquor clerk was lying, face down. He knelt down beside the clerk and put his gun against the clerk's spine. And, and they both ran out of the store. It was terrible. That clerk, he was lying there, helpless, and wounded me. He delivered Yeah, Miss Forbes, I understand. Oh, Miss Forbes, uh, you said that both of the men had guns. Oh. One of the guns was black, and the other was sort of, sort of fancy looking. What do you mean, Miss Forbes? Well, it was real shiny. Nickel plate? I didn't know about that, but it was shiny. There were two guns, huh? Yes. Well, now about the men themselves. Well, I, I was so scared their faces just didn't register with me. The one who, when you shot the clerk in the back, was sort of stocky. Not the best I can do. Well, you mentioned in the report that one of the men was left-handed. Yes, I do remember that. Uh-huh. Now, look, Miss Forbes, this is very important to us. One of the men was a redhead? Redhead? Why, no, I didn't see any redhead. Here for me and Joe's run right smack into a stone wall on this thing. What's the complication? Well, there's more than one, Ed. In the first place, we know that the 44 Smith & Wesson was used in both shootings. But the descriptions of the men involved don't check. Police officer Emerson said he thought the man that, uh, uh, that shot him and Williams outside the trapdoor cafe was a tall, left-handed redhead. 
There'd be something funny about his nose. You think Williams got a better look at him? Probably did, but Williams isn't strong enough to talk yet. And a girl that witnessed the liquor store killing a month ago said that one nose man was left-handed. But she said neither of them was redhead. Yeah, and on top of all that, now we've got two guns to worry about. The girl mentioned two guns, so we checked the autopsy report on that liquor clerk. And, Ed, the bullet that actually killed him came from a thirty-two twenty, not a forty-four Smith & Wesson. That fact didn't get any publicity at the time, did it? No, it didn't. Okay, we won't give it any publicity now either. You're a lot on, it's just a forty-four Smith & Wesson we're after. Because if whoever owns the thirty-two twenty finds out it's hot, we'll never get it. Anything else? Well, we sent teletypes to all outland stations in neighboring cities. Told them if they get any red-headed suspects, no matter what charge they got them on, to hold them for questioning. Yeah. Now, how about this thirty-two twenty, the actual murder weapon? Any leads on it? We've got one, Ed. We've been checking the records, and we discovered that four hours after the liquor store killing, a taxi driver in the neighborhood was shot and robbed. Blood was pretty well matched, but there was enough to tell it was from a thirty-two twenty. So we're going over to question the taxi driver now. Good. Well, I think you boys are on the right trail. So far, what we've got is mostly unrelated facts, but sooner or later, those facts have all got to tie in at some point along the line. Find that point. Yeah, find the point. Find the tie-in. Well, Ben and I went over to see the taxi driver, a guy who was living on borrowed time. Yeah, it was about 2 o'clock in the morning when it happened. I got a call to pick up a fare near 105th and Avalon, you know. Yeah. Well, I got there. Somebody came over, pulled open my cab door and said, with some sticker, some blowy, you let me have it. Just like that, huh? Yeah, just like that. Same deal as others, Joe. It's keep trigger fingers. Yeah. Did you get any kind of a look at the fella? Look, no, no. It's too dark. Uh-huh. Hey, um, according to the report, you got shot in the chest. Yeah, that's right. Oh, you're maybe wondering how come I'm still alive, huh? I'll tell you, pal, it's like something you'd see in a bad movie, you know? Yeah, I'm carrying a few silver dollars with me. Nine of them, to be exact. So I decided to stick them in my breast pocket. Well, Mr. Thatcher saved my life. The slug hit them silver dollars. <laughs> One for the book, huh? Yeah, you said it. Well, thanks very much. Say, incidentally, we had a little trouble finding you today. You weren't at the stand you operated out of last month. Oh, look, look, I, I'm not only not at my usual stand, I'm not driving a hack no more. Oh? Look, after what happened, are you kidding? No, I don't want to push my luck any further than it's been pushed. Yeah, I figure I had it, you know? <laughs> About that time, Ben and I were beginning to figure we'd had it. We were getting nowhere fast. We had a few informants nosing around, but so far they hadn't come up with any leads. Well, Ben and I followed up all the teletypes that poured in. We just got back from Santa Ana where we'd been questioning a redheaded suspect and we'd flopped in the squad room when Chief Backstrand's door opened. Friday. Romero. Got a minute? Yes, Jim. Any luck with the Santa Ana redheads? No, nope, none at all. I guess you haven't heard the latest. We just now got back in town, Chip. Early this morning, another cab driver got shot. What? Yeah. Man came up to his taxi, opened the door, said, This is a stick-up, and shot him. Well, it went through one leg and then the other, but the driver managed to start his cab and drove over to a cafe. He called in from there. Uh, boys recovered the slug? Yeah. It came from the same 44 Smith & Wesson that was used in the other two jobs. The cab driver get a look at the gunman? Yeah, briefly. Was it the redhead? No. Well, a stocky guy. He wasn't redheaded and he wasn't stocky. All the driver knows. That's great. Skipper, this is beginning to sound like a gun's a month club. 
You reckon somebody's renting them guns out? Well, they're passing the guns around all right, but I think they're working together. The way they operate indicates that. Yeah, the trigger happy routine. Killing is apparently more than a business to them. It's a pleasure, too. That's why we've got to get to them fast. Come over here. All right. Come on, then. Here. Take a look at this map. Uh-huh. There's the trapdoor coupe. And over here's the liquor store. Down here is where the first cab driver got shot. Mm-hmm. Right here's where the second one got it. Mm. All of the shootings have taken place within an area of ten square blocks. Okay. Tonight we're going to throw a blockade around that whole area. Good. It'll go into effect at 10 p.m. At 9.45 p.m., cars and officers started drifting into the area by twos and threes. At a 10, when Backstrand, Ben and I arrived, the whole area was sewed up tighter than a tick. It's now Pacific Ambulance Davis? 1. Davis? All set? All set. We've well, got a primary line and a secondary line. If anyone tries to make a break, we'll pick him up in secondary. Okay. Friday and Romero here will cruise around the area with me. Go to work, men. Every car in the area was shaken down. The same process was also followed on all persons on foot. The blockade went on all night. By the end of that time, we'd brought in 217 suspects. 26 of them were redheads. What's your name? Henry Wagner. Where do you work? Lumber yard. Which one? First star. What time did you get through work last night? About six, I guess. What'd you do then? At some dinner. Where? Uh, Harry's Grill. Then what? Shot a little pool. Look, I tell you, I ain't done nothing. Now, um, let's go back to the day before yesterday. And that's the way it went all day long. We shot question after question at them, working them gradually back to the days on which the shootings had taken place. When it was all over, we got six men wanted in other cities on various charges. We got quite an assortment of guns and knives. But as far as the shootings were concerned, we got nothing. Well, I guess that's the last of them. Mm, I was running out of questions there at the end. You two boys better go on home and get some sleep. Well, I was kind of figuring on checking back over the reports to see if we might have overlooked something. I said go on home. You two boys have been at it for 32 hours straight. Look at you. You're both so groggy you can hardly stand up. You need sleep. It's uh, 4 p.m. now. Don't come back until 10 p.m. <laughs> When I walked into the squad room at 10, Ben was already there. An informant had just phoned in a new lead. He told Ben he'd heard about a gang that had been hanging out down around the DeVere bungalow court in the south end of town. We knew that the DeVere was close to the trapdoor cafe, so we went over to talk to the manager. Joe, I've been meaning to ask you. Uh, you checked on how Williams is getting along? Yeah, I did. I called the hospital this afternoon. It's going to be all right. All right. Fine. Here we are. Yeah, manager's open. Still got a light on. Yeah? I'm Sergeant Friday, police. This is Sergeant Romero. Yeah? We'd like a little information. Sure, come in. Thank you. What can I do for you? Well, did you hear anything about a gang that hangs out down around here anywhere? Gang? Well, no. How about your tenants here? Any of them ever been in trouble, to your knowledge? No. This ain't exactly the best neighborhood in town, but we try to keep things under control. Once in a while, one of them will get out of line, but when that happens, we heave him out of here. You heaved anybody out lately? Yeah, I did. Phone his wife a few weeks ago. They had a fight in one of the bungalows. She took a shot at him, but she missed. Party by the name of Stuba, Carl Stuba. What did this Stuba look like? Oh, sort of tall, skinny. Was he a redhead? No. 
Now, we'd like to take a look at that bungalow that he lived in. Sure, sure. Help yourself. Down the end there, number five. Still vacant. Well, I guess that does it. Stuba didn't leave a thing behind. Matter of fact, we don't have anything to prove that this Stuba's tied in at all. We're only working on our arms. Hey, Joe, look. Where? Up on the wall there. Get for the window. Oh, Yeah. Now, that plaster there, it's newer than the rest. You got a knife? Sure I have, boy, and I'm carving. That manager would be awful unhappy with me if he was here. Yeah, he would. Yeah, but... Hey, Joe, here it is. A slug. They plastered right over. Okay, dig it out, and let's hope it matches. It matched. The slug from the wall came from the same 44 Smith & Wesson that had been used in the other shootings. So now we had a name to work on, Carl Stuba. But he'd done a good job of dropping out of sight. Well, the next day, Ben thought he had another lead. Just been talking to another informant, Joe. He says he heard that there's a fella down in that neighborhood been trying to sell a gun lately. What kind of a gun? Nickel-plated with steer horn handle. Nickel-plated? Maybe that's our 44 Smith & Wesson. Maybe. Did the informant know who this man was? Said the fella's name was Alonzo. Yeah. Alonzo who? Yes, Alonzo. That's all he knew. So now we had two names, Stuba and Alonzo, but no men to go with him. So we went back to making the rounds of the substations, interviewing redheaded suspects. We took a few of them to Williams, who was home from the hospital by now, but he couldn't identify any of them as the man who shot him. Still, we kept checking. Finally, we got around to the 77th Street station. We questioned the suspects they were holding there, and we just started to leave when one of the officers called us. Hey, Sarge, yeah. we're holding somebody else you might want to look at. Redhead? No. What's the choice? Suspicion of burglary? Small job. Oh, I don't know. What do you think, Ben? What's special about him? He lives in the same neighborhood where those shootings took place. All right. Where you got him? Down here. You admit anything? No. He's pretty surly. Here we are. Thanks. Hi. What do you want? I'm Sergeant Friday. This is Sergeant Romero. We'd like to ask you a few questions. Look, I already told the other cops all I know. I didn't steal no radio from that jerk. What's your name? We've been through all that one. Come on, what's your name? Jackson. Alonzo Jackson. Alonzo. I looked at Ben and Ben looked at me. This could be the Alonzo who'd been trying to peddle at Smith & Wesson. Ben and I both knew here was one suspect we'd have to be real careful with. Lonzo, uh, according to the records, this burglary you're suspected of took place on the night of the 27th. Look, how many times do I have to tell you guys they didn't have anything to do with it? You got an alibi for that night? Sure, I got an alibi. I was out with a couple of friends, I can tell you. What's your friend's name, Lonzo? One of them's Cranley or the Stuba. Stuba, the guy who used to live in the bungalow court. Well, we told Alonzo he'd have to produce his two friends to give him an alibi for the burglary charge, and he bit. He went with us, and he pointed out where Stuba was living now. No wonder we hadn't been able to find him. There was a little shack at the back of a lot behind two houses. We thought it was a chicken coop at first. We took Alonzo back to the station, then we picked up Stuba. He was surprised to see us and not very happy. We took him in. Next, Alonzo gave us Crandall's address. Yeah. Mr. Crandall in? No. Will he be back soon? I don't know. Who are you? Sergeant Friday, Sergeant Romero, police. 
What do you want with him? Oh, nothing important, lady. We just wanted him as a witness. Oh. Well, I don't know just when he'll be back. Probably an hour or two. Okay, thanks. We went down the street away and we staked out in the car. We sat there for about five hours and then Ben nudged me in the ribs. Hey, Joe. Huh? Joe, take a look. Coming along the sidewalk. Yeah. And he's got red hair. Come on. Crandall. Huh? Your name Crandall? Who are you? Friday Romero, police. Police? What do you want? With me? I, I haven't done nothing. Well, then you got nothing in the world to worry about. Come on. We questioned Crandall for an hour, but he wouldn't give an inch. Denied everything. Then we put him in a car and we drove over to Officer Williams' house. I left Ben in the living room with Crandall while I went in Williams' bedroom. Oh, Sarge. Hi, Williams. How you doing? A little better, I think. That's fine. Look, we've got another redhead outside. <laughs> Bring him in. Okay. All right, Crandall, come on in here. Who's in there? Why'd you bring me over here? Come on in here. How about it, Williams? That's the guy. No, I'm That's not. That's the I... guy that shot me. Well, Crandall? No. Yeah. I... It was an accident. I didn't mean to shoot him. It was an accident. Once Crandall got started, he talked his head off. He also admitted being in on the liquor store killing, but insisted he was only the lookout. We took him back to the station and got his whole story down on a tape recorder. Yeah, he was left-handed. Then we went back to Alonzo, who didn't know we had Crandall's confession. We met the chief in the hall outside the room where they were holding Alonzo. You about ready to drive or not? Oh, I hope so, chief. But Alonzo hasn't given any yet. And we still haven't found those guns. We've got one of them. Which one? The Smith and Wesson. Stuba popped about that room ten minutes ago. Said he left it with his girl. A couple of the boys are on their way over to get it now. That's good, Ed. That leaves just the 3220. You have mentioned the 3220 to Alonzo, have you? No. He still thinks we're after that Smith and Wesson, and that's the way we're going to play it right now. Go ahead. Look, how much longer are you guys going to hold me here? Didn't you check with those friends of mine? Alonzo, we got a tip that you've been trying to sell a gun, lady. A gun? Yeah, 44 Smith and Wesson. Oh. No, it's not true. That Smith & Wesson's been using a couple of robbery jobs this month, and we think it's your gun. That's a lie. Any proof of that? Why, yeah. Sure, I got proof of that. Uh, I used to have a gun, but it wasn't a Smith & Wesson. Look, if I tell you where it is, that ought to convince you, shouldn't it? It'll help things. Okay. I sold it to a neighbor of mine. He gave me seven bucks. I'll give you his address. You sure it's not a Smith & Wesson? Sure, I'm sure. It's a thirty-two twenty. Yeah, it worked. We went to the neighbor's address, and he admitted having bought the 3220, but said he'd lent it to a friend who'd never returned it. The friend had hocked the gun to a barber. The barber gave him 15 bucks and a haircut for it. We finally got it from the barber, and we came back to the station. I'm all set, Joe. I'll be in the next room. Just give me the nerve. Okay. Hello, Alonzo. Hey, you got the gun. Yeah, we got the gun. Well, now maybe you'll believe I'm on the level. Okay, if I go now? I guess we won't be able to hold you here much longer. You can say that again, brother. You gotta save a lot of time for you to listen to what I've been trying to tell you all along. I guess you're right, Alonzo. Sure, I'm right. You know, you guys would be a lot better off if you believe guys like me the first time we tell you something. Instead of running. I was only a lookout. I was outside. 
There was the other two who pulled that one. Huh? Stuba and Alonzo. Alonzo killed a clerk. Hold it, Alonzo. All right, Alonzo, that's enough. Now, come on, how about it? Well, it's the use. All right. It's like he said. Okay, Ben, bring the recorder in here. Alonzo's ready to make a record now. By playing back Crandall's statement that we'd recorded earlier, we got a full confession from Alonzo. We took the three of them out and had them reenact the four shootings, and we photographed it on sound film. Crandall, the redhead, was the one who shot the two police officers, but he was only the lookout for the liquor store killing, which explains why the girl witness didn't see him in the store. Stuba and Alonzo were the ones who pulled that job, and Alonzo, the worst of the bunch, was the one who put the 3220 against the spine of the wounded clerk. The three of them took turns at shooting the cab drivers and robbing them. That accounted for the mixed-up descriptions, including all that left-handed business. Two of the three suspects happened to be left-handed. Well, that was the crop. Crandall, Alonzo, Steuben. Four shootings, three robberies, four attempted murders, one murder. The three men were tried and convicted. They're all in the state penitentiary. Crandall's there for life. Alonzo and Stuba, they'll be executed next week. File it, will you, Ben? Case closed. Drag net. you have just heard was true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. You have just heard the second in a new series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet comes from the office of C.B. Horrell, Chief of Police, Los Angeles Police Department. Tonight's program is dedicated to Radio Officer Delmer E. Cook of the Los Angeles Police Department, who, on the afternoon of December 6, 1948, gave his life so that yours might be more secure. Dragnet came to you from Los Angeles. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Stay tuned for George Burns and Gracie Allen next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for that couple who entertained millions for some four decades, George Burns and Gracie Allen. Over here. Want a soap that's pure and gentle? Come on, come on, wait this one. Lever Brothers, the makers of Swan, the new white-floating soap, presents the Burns and Allen Show with Paul Whiteman. <laughs> Our singer, Jimmy Cash, yours truly, Bill Goodwin, the six hits and a miss, and George Burns and Gracie Allen. <laughs> and now we take you to the Burns home, where George and Gracie are just finishing breakfast. More cream, dear? Another slice of toast? No, thanks. Well, did you notice the toast wasn't burnt this morning? I finally had a man come up and look at the toaster. Good. It's about time. I made him take it apart and check the whole thing. He charged me $5, but it was worth it. Found out what the trouble was, huh? Mm hmm. I was leaving the toast in it too long. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fine. For another $5, you could probably tell you why the waffle line doesn't make coffee. Oh, George! Everybody knows that. 
There's a shortage of coffee. <laughs> Let's just drop the whole oh, thing. Oh, look there. Look out of the window. Where? What? There's Mr. Morton leaving for his office. Oh, thrill divine. Mrs. Morton is walking out to the gate with him. Now she's kissing him goodbye. George, have they been married to each other the same length of time? <laughs> of course they have. Why? Well, she kisses like they were just married, and he kisses like they've been married eight years. <laughs> Gracie, you shouldn't watch your neighbors. It's not nice. Oh, you know. you're right, dear. Mm. Oh, look, across the street, there's Fred Pontag leaving for his office. And Mrs. Pontag is kissing him goodbye. Oh, it must be heavenly. Stop being silly. George, I wish you didn't work at home. <laughs> if you had an office, I could kiss you every morning. Well, I do kiss you every morning. I know, but you'll never give me the pleasure of kissing you goodbye. <laughs> Look, I don't need an office. Well, we're just missing the best part of married life, that's all. Darling, I have no use for an office, and believe me, we're not missing the best part of married life. But in the movies, when Everett Melvin Douglas is married, he always leaves for the office in the morning and kisses Irene Dunn goodbye. Gracie, do I have to remind you that I'm not Melvin Douglas? No, George, you don't have to remind me. <laughs> We've been married for years, and this is the first time you ever mentioned an office. But I thought about it. Yesterday, I thought of Maple Leavitt. You were leaving for the office. I actually stood in front of the house and waved for five minutes. Just waved to no one? Well, not as it turned out. But they all finally left and went over to the USO. <laughs> Smart piece of waving. Good. All the husbands of the girls in the club have offices downtown. For the last time, sweetheart, I don't need an office downtown just to do our radio program. That little rumpus room we fixed up for me is fine. Well, no, it isn't at all. At night, Blanche Morton can ask her husband if he had a hard day at the office. But how does it sound when I say, did you have a hard day in the rumpus room, dear? <laughs> Gracie, let's drop the discussion now. But, George... Now. Oh, it's my darling little duck. I'm awfully glad you're here, Herman. Mama wants to ask you a question. Now, uh, you're not very proud of your daddy, George, are you? <laughs> <laughs> but suppose your daddy had a great big swanky office Then you'd be proud of him, wouldn't you? <laughs> I wonder if they'll ever draft ducks <laughs> But Herman, if your daddy has an office He'll be a big important man like those men who uh, Who control the railroad And then he'll take you on the choo-choo <laughs> I ever heard. Mama's so proud of her clever little boy. Oh. Oh, that's fine. A ham with drumsticks. <laughs> Gracie, maybe you've got something with that office. At least I'd get away from that silly duck. Oh, that's wonderful. You hear, Herman? Your daddy's getting an office. He's going to be a big businessman like Henry Kaiser. Do you know what Henry Kaiser builds? Herman, I'd just like to remind you one thing. The government needs fat. Uh, they need it for bullets and bombs, and they want us to take it to our meat dealers right now. 
Foreman, what are you doing this evening? Go on, go on, go on. George, I'm going to run up and get my hat. Uh, what did you say, dear? I'm going to get my hat and you go right out and pick out an office. Okay, dear. Hi, George. Hello, Gracie. Oh, hello, Bill. I'll be right back, George. What's going on, George? Oh, nothing. I'm going to work in an office. Work in an office? George, what? If I catch you sitting on the boss's lap, I want my ring back. <laughs> Stop being funny. I'm going to rent an office for myself. Oh, well, you're lucky I came over. I know a girl who's a great secretary. Her name is Gwendolyn. Well, I don't want a secretary. Oh, but she's great, George. Her shorthand is sensational. I just... Listen, the other day I dictated a letter this fast. Now, get this. Uh, Dear madam, in case you haven't heard about it, Swan is the new pure white floating soap that's great for washing the dishes. Mm. Because Swan gives you suds faster than any other floating soap. And that's true even in hard water. Yeah, but I don't want a secretary. And George Gwendolyn read that letter right back to me. She read it... She read it back to me in shorthand. She said, Dear Matt, why a new white photo that a great for what the dick? Forget it, forget it, forget it. <laughs> Look, I, I, I don't need a secretary. I'm just but George, a little, a Gwendolyn, little, a little... Gwendolyn is the Toscanini of the keyboard. Oh, really? Yes, well, she I... types 160 words a minute. You ought to see those beautiful white hands flying over the keys. And why do you think she has beautiful white hands, George? Why, Bill? I'll tell you, George. <laughs> well, sir, she uses Baby Gentle Swan for every soap and water job in the house. And no matter what you use Swan for, whether it's washing the dishes or some hankies, hose and undies or anything, Swan is kind to your hands. That's why, George, and I'm glad you asked me. Bill, I don't care if Gwendolyn uses Swan to play her mandolin. But, George... See, I'm not using a, a George, who will write your letters, answer your <laughs> phone, and remind you of things you mustn't forget? Like the fact that Swan saves you money. Because with Swan in the house, you don't have to buy easily wasted package Okay, soap. okay, stop the, the talking. I'll hire her, I'll hire her. Hire her? You can't hire Gwendolyn. She's got a job. And she's crazy about her work. Why did you do all that talking? Well, George, I don't exactly hate my work either. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> breakfast, I'll bet he wears a green wrapper with a white swan on the front. Uh, oh, George, while I was putting on my hat, I was thinking how wonderful your office is going to be. You are? Mm-hmm. Monday morning, you'll kiss me goodbye, and Monday night, you'll kiss me hello. Oh. Tuesday morning, you'll kiss me goodbye, and Tuesday night, you'll kiss me hello. Uh, and Wednesday morning, you'll kiss me goodbye, and Thursday morning, you'll kiss me goodbye, and Thursday night, you'll kiss me hello. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I didn't come home from the office Wednesday night. <laughs> you didn't? Well, don't let it happen again. <laughs> What? The idea of leaving your poor little wife home slaving oh, over a hot stop stop while you're stop having stop a gay time in your office. This is Paul Whiteman. Tonight, Jimmy Cash sings of a time we all hope will come soon. When the lights go on again. All right, Jimmy. When the lights go on again, all over the world, and the boys are home again, all over the world, and rain or snow is on. Fall from the sky above, a kiss on 
This office building looks too expensive. I'm going across the street and try the other one. All I need is just a little cubby hole. Well, I'll it's... talk to the manager and see what he's got here. Yeah, but don't look at anything too expensive. Well, you don't have to worry, dear. You know what I always say? A pound of pennies is wise, foolish. <laughs> well, I know you always say that, but all I want is just a little cubby hole. I'll be right back. Oh, all right. Oh, let's see now. Oh, here's the manager's office. Um... Uh, are you the manager? Yes, indeed, little lady. Well, uh, my husband, my husband would like to rent one of your offices. Oh. Uh, just a small cubby hole. Oh. Uh, well, not too small, of course. Sort of a medium-sized cubby hole. Oh. Uh, you know, like an office, like a large office. Oh. He, he'd like a big suite with three big rooms. Oh. Oh, well, I have the very thing you're looking for. Now, uh, if you'll just sign this lease. Oh, now, wait a minute. I'm much too careful to rush into anything that quickly. Oh, I see. Uh, has this suite got windows? Yes, indeed. Oh, good. Where do I sign? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right on that dotted line, little lady. Here's a pen. Thank you. Gracie Allen Burke. There you... Oh, my goodness. Hmm? This lease is for 99 years. Is something wrong? Well, you see, my husband is a very healthy man, and he'd be upset if the lease expired before he did. Oh. Well, <laughs> I, uh, I wouldn't worry about it, little lady. Uh, now then, uh, what kind of office furniture will your husband require? Well, I don't know. What do you usually put in your office in? Oh, it all depends on what the office is used for, madam. Could be desks and steel files, a cabinet for law books, a dentist chair, an operating table, a stock ticker. Well, that sounds satisfactory. Uh, 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 which? All of them. <laughs> all of them? Of course. Lady, do you happen to be married to Orson Welles? Oh, no. His name is George Burns. And that's the name I want on the door. George Burns Limited. That office equipment, I hardly think he will be. I'll say. <laughs> what? I said with oh, that never office... mind, never mind. I think I'd like to see the suite now. Oh, yes, of course. It adjoins my own office. Uh, just right out this door, if you please. Oh, here's my husband. Now we can see it together. Gracie, Gracie, I saw the cutest place across the street only $25 a month, just exactly oh, no, what wait, I wanted. Oh, no, wait, wait, wait. I want you to see the little place I picked out. You picked out? Uh-huh. All right, Mr. Manager, open it up. <laughs> Gladly. Yeah. Isn't it snug? Isn't it cozy? Snug? Cozy? Yes. And just think, it's yours for 99 years. Oh. <laughs> 
What an office. Six filing cabinets, five desks, 12 chairs. What a job moving this furniture in here. George, you'll, you'll have to move it all out again. Move it out? Why? It spoiled the echo. Look. <laughs> Gracie, will you sit down? All I wanted was one little room. And I've got an office you could hide a flying, a flying fortress in. Oh, but now I can kiss you every night when you come home. If, if you had a little office, I, I'd just give you one little kiss. But you've got a big office with three big rooms, so I'll give you three great big kisses. Well, glad you didn't rent the whole floor. I'm not as young as I used to be. <laughs> That's funny. Who knows we're here? Well, it's probably the girls from the employment agency. I told them you'd want a secretary. Now, wait a minute. All I wanted was just a little cubby hole. Well, I don't all want... big men have secretaries, George. You can take one of these girls temporarily, and then later on, you can hire somebody more experienced, like Secretary Morgenthau or Secretary Hall. <laughs> Look, Gracie... Come in. We're from the AFME agency. Are you the party who's looking for a secretary? Oh, yes, I'll interview you, though. Your name is? Lucille Helch. I'm very good. I'd still be working if my last boss hadn't been drafted. Before he was drafted, he was in women's dresses. <laughs> well, I suppose it takes all kinds to make an army. <laughs> um, Lucille, uh, what would your salary be? Well, um, 20 a week. 20 a week? Oh, that's not enough. You should get at least 35. Oh, that'd be wonderful. Well, in fact, for a girl who's really a good secretary, I don't think $50 is too much to you. Oh, no, $50 would be fine. Well, I'm sure you're capable, Lucille, but that's a little more than my husband can afford. Next girl. <laughs> Gracie, she said she'd work for... Mm -hmm. Uh, what's your name, miss? Uh, Geraldine Bojo. And I'm very good at taking shorthand. Well, I'll try you out. I'll dictate a short business letter to you. Ready? Mm-hmm. Um, George Burns Limited. Dear Limited, we, uh, we received your contents and the 15th inch was duly noted. Thanking you in the past for advanced favors we are. Now, read it back. Um, George Burns Limited. Dear Limited, we received your contents and the 15th inch was duly noted. Thanking you in the past for Dane's favors, we are. Oh, I'm sorry, Geraldine, but that letter doesn't make a bit of sense. Next, Earl. <laughs> Next, Earl. Now, oh, dear. She was the last one. Oh, good, good. Forget the secretary. Oh, no, George. I'm going to keep trying until I find you a girl who's intelligent and capable and clever and... Well, I know just the girl. Well, all right. Send her around next week. Oh, why, wait. I can start right now. Go ahead and dictate. You? Yeah, me. Oh. <laughs> Six hits and a miss, and the boys in the band, and one of Jerome Kearns and Johnny Mercer's very, very best, Dearly Beloved.
This office is ridiculous, Gracie. Miss Allen, please. Huh? Well, I'm just your secretary now, so you better call me Miss Allen. Or Toots. <laughs> oh, yeah, Toots. Yeah, and I'll call you GB. GB? That's office talk for George Burns. You know, your initial GB. I don't want you to call me GB. Well, that's the way it's done, dear. My sister Bessie used to be secretary for a man named Philip Simmons, and she always called him FC. <laughs> I don't care what your sister Bessie did. All I wanted was yeah, a little cubby hole. being a secretary. <laughs> I hope I don't make a great big fool of myself and fall in love with the boss. <laughs> oh, stop. I'll be the laughing stock of all my friends. Oh, don't you worry, dear. They laughed at all great men. They even laughed at Lincoln. But he went right ahead and invented the highway. <laughs> all right, all right. Now, I don't would... get excited, oh. GB. And quit with that GB. GB. What is this? Probably the janitor. Come in. Oh, wait, George. The secretary does the work. Come in. Thanks, thanks. Holy smokes. What a place. Do you like our little office, Bill? Well, yeah. I've always wondered how the Rose Bowl has looked with a roof. <laughs> you haven't seen anything, Bill. Look at this. Where's the barbecue pit? <laughs> I've got three rooms like this, and it's silly. I've got no business. No one wants to see me. Oh, oh, hey, excuse me, boys. I'm going out into the hall. Gracie. Yeah, I've got an idea. George, why don't you get a smaller office? Why? Because the landlord had Gracie sign a 99-year lease. A 99-year lease? Why, he can't do that, George. Give me that phone. I'll break that lease for you. Well, how can you break the lease? Listen, I didn't go to law school two months for nothing. <laughs> Hello, landlord. I'm calling for George Burns. Now, listen, you unethical, money-grabbing old... Me? I'm Bill Goodwin, and I'm telling you that if... You do? Well, gee, it is a wonderful soap. Oh. <laughs> Bill, Bill, the lease. You said something about breaking the Yes, sir, landlord. That's exactly what I always uh, say. Swan is the new pure white floating soap that's a honey for suds. Mm. Yes, sir, I never saw such suds in all my life. Fast, too. Look, Bill, you came in, you said you had an Oh, your wife, about, too, about, huh? Uh, about well, why shouldn't she be? Especially since there's a little baby in the house. Mm. 
Swan's perfect for bathing the baby. It's as mild and pure as the finest Castile soap. That's what makes it so swell for your face and hands. Yeah, like peaches and cream. At least the break it, break it, break uh, it, break uh, it, break oh, it. Oh, yes. Break it. Oh, landlord, Mr. Burns suggests you break it. Break it, break it. Yeah, break, break Swan in two. Yes, sir. <laughs> Use half in the kitchen for dishes and housework and put the other half in your bathroom for your shower or tub. Look, Bill, you brought this on yourself. Oh, you see, that's great. Just own. great. A, a oh. cake of Swan in every office? Oh, thank you. Goodbye. Well, that's a fine way to break a lease. Now, wait a minute. You want to break the lease with a landlord who's going to give swan soap to all his tenants? Why, shame on you. It's men like you who cause bottlenecks. I'm leaving so soon, Bill. Well, yes. Gracie, your husband is without a doubt. Who's your friend? Oh, him? Well, he's the gentleman I found out here in the hall. What did you say your name was? William Murray. Uh, Mr. Murray is going in to see George. Oh, well, chins up, Mr. Murray. So long. <laughs> Mr. Murray, G.B. will see you now. Well, what do I want to see him for? Well, Mr. Burns just opened this office, and you can be his very first customer. But I can't afford to buy anything, lady. You see, what was the $25,000 ceiling and the fact that I ain't worked in 12 years? Oh. <laughs> Why, it won't cost you a cent. Everything is with our compliments, absolutely free of charge. Go right in. I'll wait out here. Yes, ma'am. Uh... <clears throat> yes? Uh, I do. <laughs> I do? Nice office you have here. Thanks. Big. Yeah, yeah. Mighty big. Mighty big. Mighty big. <laughs> uh, who are you anyway and what do you want? I'm, I'm your first customer. <laughs> Customer? Yeah, I'm kind of in a hurry, so if you don't mind, I'll just take one and go. <laughs> take one what? I don't know. What business are you in? <laughs> Radio programs. Well, you better give me just a small one. I don't use them very often. <laughs> Look, Bud, you must be in the wrong office. I don't give away any samples. Now, there's the door right there. Yes, sir. I'm sorry I took up your time. That's all right. Goodbye. In case I don't see you again, I'd like to wish you a very merry Christmas. Well, did you enjoy your visit with D.B., Mr. Murray? He gave me a brush. Oh, well, that's nice. Take care of it. You never know what they'll ration next. <laughs> Come again! Pardon me, miss. I'm looking for the office of Rubicum and Young, Attorneys at Law. Well, go right in. G.B. will be glad to see you. Oh, is G.B. Rubicum or Young? Well, uh, he's not young. <laughs> <laughs> Well, then he must be Rubicum. I'll go right in. Good afternoon. Yes, what is it? I'd like to divorce my husband. <laughs> well, what's that got to do with me? You're the man I want. <laughs> Who, me? Yes. I want you to go to Reno with me. What? I'll pay all your expenses. Well, gee, this is very flattering, lady, but... but... You see... Then you go? Well, look, I'm a married man. I, I, I... What difference does that make? You're a lawyer, aren't you? A lawyer? I'm no lawyer. Oh, so you just wanted to hear my troubles, huh? Curious, huh? Oh! Hereafter, you can listen to Mr. Anthony. <laughs> What's going on around here? Uh, this 
way, Mr. Davis. Another customer, GB. So you've been sending in these people. Lady, I'm sort of in a hurry. Oh, and well, I... the GB will take care of you right away, Mr. Davis. Gee, lady, I don't what know. What is this? What does this guy want? Well, if it's all the same to you, I'm sort of in a oh, hurry. Oh, your worries are over, Mr. Davis. Just ask my husband, Buck, whatever's on your mind. Go on, ask him. Okay. Hey, mister, is there a place on this floor where a fella could wash his hands? <laughs> you and your ideas. This office will drive me crazy. And I'm stuck, stuck with a 99-year lease. Oh, you're it's... worried about the lease? Well, I'll break it, that's all. That's all, huh? Well, where's the phone? Hmm. Just break it, that's all. Hello? Oh, Hello, is this the manager? Well, this is Mrs. Burns. I'd like to break my lease, please. You will? What? What? Oh, all right. Well, thank you very much. Goodbye. Well, it's all settled here. Come on home. You mean you got me out of the lease? Well, sure. All you have to do is pay him for 98 years. <laughs> 98 years? Mm -hmm. He's given us the last year free to keep our friendship. For a day like that, it's sure nice to be home in bed. Thank goodness that fellow finally tore up the lease. Good night, sweetheart. Good night, GB. I'll stop with that GB. From now on, that office talk is out. All right, Dad. Well, PD. PD? That's office talk for pleasant dreams. of Swan, the new white floating soap, join George and Gracie in inviting you to tune in again next week, same time. These programs are shortwave to our armed forces everywhere. Remember, Swan now brings you two of radio's top shows. George Burns and Gracie Allen every Tuesday night, and Tommy Riggs and Betty Lou every Friday night over another network. And now till next week, this is Bill Goodwin saying, well, I, Swan, how about you? Thanks for listening. Thanks as well to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Zneimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great weekend. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.